knowing what the information is and being able to to express it in a relatively positive way, uh, not not pointing at someone and saying you idiot, you know what are you doing? It's well, let's talk about this and let's see what this re- what these things really mean and what what are we really chasing here? This is before I was thrown off our hospital's quality improvement uh, committee, um, and you'll, you'll understand why in just a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. So today's guest is Dan Resnick. I'm really happy to have Dan on because in some ways I feel like Dan's been my big brother inside of neurosurgery. And uh, Dan, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Mike. So just by way of introduction, uh, Dan is an amazing spine surgeon. He's had just about every major leadership role. He was the chair of the spine section of the WNS and CNS. He's been president of the CNS and he's been president of NAS. So those are the major spine organizations in North America, barring WNS, which uh, which you're very involved in now. So thanks for being here. So the the question or topic for today, I think, is one that's very sensitive if you live inside of any health system, which is this issue of uh, patient evaluations or ratings or surveys, and we put it under the rubric of like Prescani or Leapfrog, right? Yeah, um, you're talking about patient satisfaction scores. Is, Correct. Is what you're talking about. And these, these have emerged over the last 10 or 15 years uh, as part of the push towards trying to identify quality and value in, in medicine. You know, uh, the idea that uh, if you um, provide a service, there should be some sort of measurable difference, and this difference divided by cost will be your, will be your, your value equ- equation. The, uh, the problem with these um, uh, measures, there, there are numerous problems with these measures. Uh, the, the main problem is they really don't measure a lot of things that we can control as, as caregivers or, 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 or physicians. Uh, there's been a, a ton of research uh, demonstrating that uh, really these things are much more determined by what the patient brings to the table than um, anything that we do. Uh, for example, the uh, group at the, the Cleveland Clinic has published a series of papers um, not just one, but probably three, four, or five papers looking at their patient satisfaction data and just correlating that data with uh, patient demographics. So, for example, if a patient has irritable bowel syndrome or has another autoimmune disease, the, the, the odds are that their patient satisfaction scores are going to be much lower than the mean. If a patient has more than four allergies, or, or let's say, if a patient reports more than four allergies, hmm. their patient satisfaction scores are, are going to be lower than, than if, the, than if the, the patient doesn't. Dan, give us an idea. Like, not everybody's filled these out. Like, give me an example of what kind of question the patient would actually be asked. Look, these, these questions are, uh, were you satisfied with the interaction? With, did the provider uh, provide you a chance to provide input to your care? Did the, did the provider care about your disorder? And the, the one that was really the, the big bugaboo um, uh, especially given the opioid crisis, is that up, up until very, very recently, it's, uh, in both the inpatient and outpatient measures, there was a specific question as to whether or not the physician adequately cared for your pain. Mm, I you see. Know, so this was, this was an exact 
incentive to drive the prescri- prescribing of opioids to chronic pain patients during the crisis. During yeah. the, I mean, this 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 helped create the crisis. Yeah. This, this crisis was 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 uh, aided and abetted uh, by the federal government through these quality these patient satisfaction uh, measure. Uh, Programs and who like who runs this? Is this a company that runs it, or like I mean, I, I, do I give my patient my survey myself? Like who's actually driving this? So the way this works is that your hospital, your health system, um, or your your practice will hire a company to do this. And what they will do is they, they send out surveys to your patients um, after their visit with you um, and ask them these these types of questions. The um, the the problem with these questions is that they've been sort of, they're, they're very, they're, they're, they've become sort of the substitute for true quality in medicine. And they have not, they've been proven on numerous occasions in spine surgery, in general surgery, in emergency medicine, in internal medicine, in pediatrics, in geriatrics, and in psychiatry to have absolutely nothing to do with actual medical outcomes. So if you, if you actually, if you follow patient-reported outcomes such as pain scores after spine surgery, for example, where we operate on pain for 90% of what we do, right? Right. There's no correlation between patient satisfaction and recovery from pain. There's no correlation between... Is that patient- right? Yes. Yeah, Matt, so you, you Matt McGirt have- wrote that up uh, about uh, probably 12 years ago now. So your leg pain can be completely resolved with surgery and the patient's not satisfied. Exactly. That's what I felt too. Like, it happens. Oh, no. It, no, it's, it's been shown. It, it's, it's, it, it's not... It's, well, it's not crazy. It's, 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 it's not just an anecdotal report. I mean, there, there's actual data behind this. Uh, Erica Besson in, in Utah also had a very similar report uh, looking at um, the uh, results of patient satisfaction measures being less favorable if the physician didn't recommend surgery. So we're, we're being incentive to recommend, incentivized to recommend I surgery. We like that, and, right? And to, well, but we're being incentivized to, to, to do uh, invasive things and we're being incentivized to prescribe narcotics in order to chase these scores which have nothing to do with medical outcomes. So, so how do you navigate your practice when you, you go to work knowing that these metrics to which you're being held as a standard are meaningless? Well, so I, I'm, I'm going to put on my old guy who's been around the block hat, <laughs> and I ignore these things uh, because they're, they are meaningless, and they're, and they're shown to be meaningless. However, the problem is there are numerous examples where uh, physician reimbursement uh, or privileges right. in the OR or uh, credentials are related to these patient satisfaction measures. Um, I give a talk on this thing, and the, 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 you know, so I, I, just, I, I just explained how there's no correlation between actual, pa- actual medical outcomes and patient satisfaction scores. We just talked about how there's a perverse incentive that if you're chasing these things, you're going to end up doing bad things. You're going to do more expensive things, i.e. tend to offer more surgery, and do more dangerous things, i.e. offer more opiates. These are also highly manipulable. If you look in uh, any of the trade journals, you can look at Becker's, you can for, for spine, you can look at the nursing journals, um, just or just go on the internet and, and punch in patient satisfaction scores. You will find a slew of articles, uh, anywhere from the Ladies Home Journal to the AORN to to to, to whatever, uh, showing different ways to improve your patient satisfaction scores. Um, I, my, I have a slide where I've, I've got eight ways, and then seven ways, and six ways, and five ways, and four ways, <laughs> and then the last one is. All you have to do is bring your heart to work, you know. And, 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 and usually, at that, at that point, people are vomiting, you know, yeah. in, 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 in the audience because it's just, it's just so absurd, you know. You know, the, the other thing is is the, the point that this is patient dependent. Um, we looked at our, we use a company called Avatar, which is very similar to Prescani. It's just it's just a different company, but it has the same sorts of questions. And we looked at our avatar. The way our Avatar scores are reported is in a dashboard, and so if you are a um, 
if you're doing a good job with your avatar scores, you get a green box. And then if you're doing an okay job, you get sort of a yellow circle. And just it, to make it simple, because we're just, too stupid. We're, we're way too stupid to look at to a number. numbers. Yeah. Well, I'll explain. I'll explain those numbers in just a minute too. Okay. Uh, and then if you're if you're doing poorly, you get a red triangle. Okay. Oh. So first off, uh, if you look at our entire department, there's 18 of us. Of the 18 of us, 13 of us are all green squares straight across. There's five of us who are solid red triangles. Okay. Those are the five of us are the ones who take care of spine patients. Okay, mm -hmm. the Vassar guys. I mean, we just we just cured you of a time bomb in your head. You know, the tumor guys—they're saving lives. Right. You know, Pete. I mean, that's a whole other world. You know, you know, all the spine guys. Everybody who treats pain is in red, and it's the same thing in orthopedics. If you compare the sports guys to the spine guys, the sports guys look great. The spine guys look terrible. The rehab guys look awful. Yeah. Uh, you know, even, even there's somebody worse. worse than us. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Believe it or not. Oh, same thing, uh, what was the other, so that, that was ortho and us, we all, I, at rehab was the, was the other department I looked at uh, at our place. The other thing is, is it totally depends on your patients, your patient population. So I run two clinics, one's on a Thursday and one's on a Friday. And so I got my avatar scores from both my clinics. They were both looking at the same guy, I'm the same guy, same clinics, right? I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're right next door to each other, but they're basically, you know, in the same, same place. Same basic patient population, right? I'm treating all spine patients. In one clinic, I was solid green boxes. I had a 95.8% approval rating, uh, or, or, or would you recommend this physician to come back to rating but from my patients? On the next day, at the exact same clinic, I had a 69% rating, or, or, or a glowing red triangle with, with evil what? orange. How do you explain, are you in a bad mood on Fridays? Like, how do you explain that? Well, as it turns out, that's, that's almost 30 point difference, right? right that's and, huge. And, 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 if, and if you think that, you know, if a, if a standard deviation in, in, a, in a score that's reported, you know, in, in, yeah. in, in that metric is only five points, that means I'm six standard deviations away from myself. <laughs> right? And Mike, 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 Mike has a degree in epidemiology. He knows math. And so, so Mike, if, if I'm six standard de deviations away from myself, can I in fact exist? <laughs> I'm thinking maybe it's your nurse practitioner or something. Is it a different... <laughs> no, so, so then, then look at the comments you get. You know, the, 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 it, it, usually it's one patient who submarines you. And you get comments like, oh, I wish they had hot chocolate in the coffee maker. Or, or, or you know, the, mm. uh, the, 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 I had a lot of trouble getting in from the parking lot. Pinnacle or, of care. Or, 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 the, or the line was too long where I had to register. I mean, stuff that you have no control over whatsoever. To me, I feel like this whole thing is a gambit. Like, okay, let's take a little bit more extreme uh, scenario. The online reviews, right? Google, Vitals, RateMDs, all that. Like, to me, just like any other system, these companies that do this, if they don't have negative reviews, they don't have a purpose. It's like the IRS, right? The IRS has to have people cheating on taxes or why even have an IRS except to take the money in, right? And so they need to have... Prescani needs to have bad scores, otherwise they wouldn't. There would be no purpose for them, right? Well, let's. Prescani is a little bit different, okay? Because I, I I talked about those numbers that they give you, right? And and you know our hospital is always chasing the numbers. They always have the. I don't know if your hospital does. Oh this my too, god, they're but chasing. They, but, yeah. but they always have their goal and their yeah. baseline and where you are down here, you know, that type of stuff, just to make you feel like crap when when you're looking at these things. Um, when we were when we were looking at a one of these metrics, I, I this is before I was thrown off our hospital's quality improvement uh, committee, um, and you, you'll understand why in just a moment. <laughs> but uh, but um, we were we were chasing a hospital satisfaction score where um, the national mean was like eighty point four percent, and we were at seventy nine point nine percent. But there was such clustering; we were we were in the tenth percentile because everyone is clustered right around there. Right. So, so we we were investing like 
hundreds of thousands of dollars in this marketing campaign to, to boost our ratings in, in this I forgot what the, what the measure was, but it was, to, it was to try to get a better rating, you know, in the whatever health grades, WebMD, whatever it was. Yeah. You know, for, for, to, to raise the bar from 79.9 to 80.4, we were spending all this money for meaningless, you know, absolutely meaningless. So, so I, I expressed my frustration with this and was asked to not be on the committee anymore, among other things. Uh, <laughs> so is, I mean, to, to some degree, this is reassuring. In others, it's depressing because here you are, you're a national leader. You're, you're well-known throughout the, the world. You've been the, the, the titular leader, the principal leader of so many organizations. You're an excellent surgeon. Your pedigree is flawless. You have a, you're very personable. I know how conservative you are. You're not doing anything crazy. Uh, you're in an environment where the patients are pretty normal compared to Miami. True. And if you're dealing with this, like, what hope is there for any spine surgeon out there except to game the system? Well, that's the problem. We are incentivized to game the system as opposed to do what we should do. And, and it's difficult. It's, it's, it's easier for me. You know, I'm older, been around the block. I no longer care so much about these things. If a hospital administrator wants, wants to give me a hard time about something, I'll, I give them my talk. Yeah. You know, and, and, if they, and, and if they have any you know, comment, you know, we can discuss it. But usually by, when I show them the data, they go, oh, you know, and then they walk away, you know, um, type thing. We, we did a, a similar thing. We, there was, they reported that the neurosurgery spine infection rate was five times out of orthopedics when you looked at case-by-case -case basis. Well, that's terrible. Well, let's take a look at the data. Well, it turned out that it, they, they were, they were, it was completely apples and oranges. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they were comparing intradural tumors to microdiscectomies, you know, and, and, you know and, and that pretty much explained all the variance. So knowing what the information is and being able to, to express it in a relatively positive way, uh, not not pointing at someone and saying you idiot, you know what are you doing? It's well, let's talk about this and let's see what this real what these things really mean and what what are we really chasing here? So would that you know? be your advice for more junior faculty who can't put on their old guy hat? It's true. But so, whose whose practices and whose salaries are being tied to these things? Right. And this so this is one of the I, I give a, I, I one of the other I, I talk about this stuff all the time as Mike knows, which is why he asked me to come and talk about this. But one of the other things I talk about. Is mentoring, and it for uh, I, one of the I think biggest challenges to our profession right now is the shift from private practice to hospital employed uh, physicians. It used to be you joined a private practice, you would have some partners who were invested in making sure you didn't screw up, and who would protect you and would feed you appropriate cases and would bring you along most of the time. I mean, there's always bad actors, but that was generally uh, what they did because they they had built this practice that had a reputation and an income stream that, that they wanted to protect. Uh, with the hospital-employed uh, model, <clears throat> young neurosurgeons are being put into a situation where they're pretty much by themselves. They're given a production um, target, um, and they're held hostage by their signing bonus uh, to some extent. And they don't have a senior neurosurgeon around who they're not competing with for those RVUs. Mm. And so they, they end up um, by themselves, and they end up chasing these things. Uh, RVUs and also these these sort of meaningless outcomes, um, and get themselves in trouble. You know, and get get, get too too much entrepreneurialism, not enough. Yeah, you uh, see that, cynicism. right? We do because you're that. on the American Board of Neurosurgeons. We just right. had Carl Allman here, uh -huh. and uh, so you you probably see this behavior right play out in real life. Yes, yeah, it, it is. It's I think it's the biggest threat. Honestly, I think that's the biggest threat to our specialty. I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's you know whether or not anesthesiologists are are are, are do, being too aggressive with needles or or if or if the pulmonary guys aren't letting us do enough critical care. I I think it's ourselves, um, 
abandoning our young generation of neurosurgeons to a economic situation that rewards poor behavior. Wow, that's that's uh, humbling. It's 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 a little bit scary. I thought they were just being commoditized. Well, that's 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 part of it. But they're commoditized, and that's why these hospital systems can get away with it because they're, they're just a cog in the wheel. They're not they're not the co- they're just a cog in the machine. They're they're not part of the community of the hospital. You know, I got very angry recently. I was at a meeting and there was a Canadian neurosurgeon, very well known in spine, and he made some comment like. You know, don't worry, you're all replaceable. And I said, you know, actually, I disagree completely with you. I said, I, I know that I can be replaced. But that's not the same thing as saying I'm replaceable. Like, my wife can be replaced, but she's not replaceable. My dog, my children can be replaced. That's not the same thing as saying someone's replaceable. And I feel like there's this huge sucking sound of our souls being ripped away from the core, which is kind of what I'm hearing from you. I mean, we come at it from different angles, but, I, right? I mean, don't you feel that too? Well, I, I do. As I, as I said, I think that's a big. I think that situation is is the biggest threat, and and one of the things we're working on on the board is trying to figure out ways to, to prevent that. Uh, one of the reasons why we do this post review, where we look at the cases of, of the younger neurosurgeons that goes out, is, is to see who's going off the rails, and intervene early. But it's purely. I don't want to say it's punitive. It's purely. I don't know. There's something missing with it. Like, how do we actually... We're not really in control of the system. We're, you're sort of back-ending it, right? You're sort of like... And there's no... I don't know if there's any other solution. I'm not saying I have a better solution. But you're back-ending and saying, okay, we're not going to let you get away with this behavior and be board certified, for example, right? Right. But then you're kind of like the bad guy. It's like the policeman, right? You're like, now you're the policeman and the other guys get to give the signing bonuses. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, we... If, if you care about our specialty, if you care about, um, you know, where we're going and who we are, someone's got to do that job. You yeah. Know, and, 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 you know, if, if, if you're on the board, that's what you signed up for. I mean, that's that job. It's a, it's a very difficult job. It's, it's probably the hardest job I've ever had in organized neurosurgery, and I, I love it because you, you really feel like you're doing something that makes a difference, you know. You know, in, in terms of uh, doing something to mediate the essentially perverse incentives that are that are driving poor behavior and, and what's happened is the, the, the fee for service system has always been um, hammered on as, as being perverse incentive perverse incentivized because the more you do the more you get paid so you're incentivized just to do more yeah. right and people you know do what they're incentivized to do well we, we sort of switch that to make it an even worse situation uh, with with the with the affordable care act and the coalescence of these health systems into large mega conglomerates that that treat neurosurgeons as commodities as opposed to as, as opposed to an essential part of the community mm-hmm. yeah JP I'm curious to get your uh, in, uh, you know your input on this because Dan and I are both gen Xers right I don't know I, yeah I don't think you're a baby boom. yeah you're technically, gen Xers. <laughs> technically even though you don't act like when you're technically a millennial <laughs> don't remind me I know so like I mean you hear this what do you think about this, I mean, you see it. You grew, kind of grew up in it a little bit, right? A little bit more than we did anyways. Well, it's, it's just hard to imagine when you take a bunch of bright-eyed young people who all want to go into this field for the right reasons, we hope, and everyone I've met of my generation wants to go into it for the right reasons, and then you look a little bit ahead and you see this landscape where, oh, well, what can I get paid to do? What will I be allowed to do? 
and those are looming giants, and you're just down here with your idea of this is what I think is the right thing to do. Well, what you need to do is do the right thing, and, right. Thing, and things will come around. I mean, the we, we've always been subject to perverse incentives, and the only thing that's, that's preserved our specialty is the fact that we've had a bunch of bright-eyed Eagle Scouts, you know, who do want to do the right thing, want to be known for doing the right thing, you know, and and, and have done the right thing. Uh, I mean, to a great extent. I mean, look look at the look at the history of our, of, of of our of our specialty. We've got you know giants who have who have stood against the tide, have been iconoclasts. You know, my mentor uh, Peter Janetta was, you know, everyone told him he was insane for for years, and it turns out he was right. You know, um, you know, when you know. Larson and Benzel started talking about biomechanical principles and doing spinal fusions. It mm. was it was hearsay when these guys started talking about that type of stuff. Turns out there was something to that. So what, what can we do besides maintaining and, and working towards the good? What can we do actively at a systems level with the young people on the way up? How can we get involved? So I, I think so. I, I, this was the uh, part of the talk I gave for the CNS about five or six years ago. I think um, the important I think mentorship is extremely important. Um, I, th I think identifying someone, even if it's someone from your training program who you can just touch base with for a period of time, uh, I, th I think feeling that you're um, all by yourself, feeling that you're the low man on the totem pole, or you're a cog in the machine, is, is a bad place for a neurosurgeon to be. Uh, we are all very proud people. We're all very, you know, high, um, we're, we're ambitious, we're proud, we, we perform high, we want to be busy, we want to be doing stuff. Um, it needs to be appreciated and acknowledged somehow. And if, and if you're just feeling like a cog in the machine, that leads to burnout. It makes you it makes you cynical. It makes you think, well, I'm just going to make my hay and you know screw the right, screw everybody else, you know, uh, type of thing. So I think I think maintaining mentorship, maintaining part, being part of a community, uh, the spine section, the double NS, the CNS. By coming to these meetings, you sit around the bar and you know the, the talks are great. I learn a ton, a ton of the talks. I learn more at the bar talking to colleagues about. Do you believe what they're doing with the price gaining scores at my place? They've now tied my income to my patient satisfaction scores, which are tied to prescribing opiates. Isn't that insane? It's like, yes, that is insane. So Mike says, so I'm not the only one. No, you're not the only one. Yeah. This is happening all over the place. And those interactions are very valuable. Uh, being part of the community is, is, is really, I think, one of the best defenses against the cynicism and burnout. You know, that and, and maintaining high standards for our trainees. You know, we, we are we are privileged. We I know I I, I was uh, at uh, one of uh, Mike's uh, recruiting dinners at uh, the Delano. Uh, <laughs> we can't yeah. compete with that in Wisconsin. That was amazing. But uh, but uh, we I mean, we're fortunate to have many more applicants than we have spots. So we get to pick. Um, we we do have the ability to select our trainees, and we need to continue to select trainees and use um, things like integrity and 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 uh, uh, loyalty and and uh, trustworthiness as mainstays of, uh, of, of our selection criteria. Well, definitely at my stage, I'm still feeling the high standards for the trainees. <laughs> but thank you so much for your time. This has been incredibly informative and inspiring. My pleasure. Thanks a lot.